0: Today's message was preached a few years ago from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, and the topic is the purpose of the gospel. We see from the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, that Jesus came to destroy death, and he did that solely and wholly by his death, burial, and resurrection. But then he says he also came to deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. The first work of destroying death was something that only Christ could do. But deliverance from bondage is something that the gospel message can do. And the gospel message is only effective to those who've already been born again. So it's only good news to those who have already been saved eternally. Join us today and tomorrow as we look at the purpose of the gospel. And we'll see that the purpose of the gospel message is not to save eternally, but oh, how it saves us in a timely way. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Who is this that comes from Lord with his government? recently had someone uh, asked me to share with someone they were close to just said brother chris just just tell them the good news just 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 share the good news and you know that's a pretty simple request but it carries a great blessing and a great burden and i wanted to talk a little bit about that aspect of of it in some sense of uh, but but I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 2, and in verses 14 and 15, I believe, is a sort of a little microcosm of what we believe here at this church. And it kind of uh, could give us a, uh, a good uh, blueprint, if you will, about what it is that we're to do as a church. You know, uh, it's easy to say, tell them the good news, but what is the good news? Uh. There's there's uh, a lot of people that go out into the out in the denominational world and that go out into the world and they take what is called the good news, the gospel, and they preach it to people and share it with people. But at its root, it's really not good news. And and also the other question is this is what does the gospel actually do? What does it actually do? Because there are some that say. That the good news that's preached is that which actually causes either causes a sinner to make a decision that will change their heart, uh, that will bring about the new birth, or maybe the, the Lord has to have that gospel in order to apply it to a heart and cause them to be born again. So, um, what is it that we're to teach? What is it? What is our mission as a church? And I believe right here in Hebrews chapter two and. In verse 14 and 15, we sort of find a good overview of that, a good summary, if you will. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There's a whole lot of preaching in those two verses. Yeah, yeah. A whole lot of truth wrapped up there that I want us to look at some of it tonight. I hope we'll be able to cover it all, but I want us to look at some of it because it's been on my heart. What is it that we uh, are to preach, and and what is the what is the purpose, what is the work of the gospel versus the work of God? As I said, I've tried to preach on this before, but it's so important that I think we need to go back to it. So let's let's look at it here. You know. The first thing we see here is, is that there is a work that is holy and solely of God. Mm-hmm. He says in verse 14 that the children, that is us, his children, as much as for as much as then the children are partakers of flesh and blood. That is, we are human. We are born in nature. we are born with a natural, uh, uh, as a natural man, uh, we are not uh, as Adam was in a, able to engage in fellowship with God. When Adam was created, he was able to speak with God, he was able to walk with God, he was able to fellowship with God with no mediator in between. But when Adam fell, when Adam ate of the fruit, that ended. And then in the fifth chapter, I believe it is, of Genesis, you'll start reading about adam begetting uh children in his likeness and like basically like him and every single one of them it says he begat so and so and so and so lived so many years and he died and then another child lived so many years and he died and then another generation and they lived so many years and he died it's the graveyard chapter of the bible it begins to teach us about what happened because of adam and you see, the children, that's us. We are partakers of that. Uh, the, the literal word is a part taker. We are a part taker of Adam. We are just like him. In our nature, we are we are dead in trespasses and in sins. We are not of the divine. We are not, as some religions teach, a part of the divine oneness. You know, there are those that teach that that there's just some kind of uh, un- unconscious almost divineness out there, sort of this new age teaching, that we're just all part of that, and we got to raise our consciousness to the point where we can really get in touch with it. I, I saw a guy, and I-, I always used to know his name, and uh, if I called it, you would know it, but uh, he's on one of those late night shows. He was talking about getting in touch with the inner you. <laughs> Well, you know, I've gotten in touch with the inner me, and it's not pretty, okay? Right. It's not very pretty at all. Uh, the more in touch I get with the inner me, the worse I act, and the worse I feel, and the worse I live, because the inner me that is in nature, that inner me is dead in and trespasses and in sins. So that's what we are in the flesh. That's what we are in nature. And because we are partakers of flesh and blood, that is, we have a carnal nature, he also had to come down and to have a body. Now, he didn't have a carnal nature. He was not the first Adam. He was the second Adam. But because, you know, the reason he couldn't stay in heaven and save us is because there had to be a sacrifice for sin. He could not, you know, that's the reason he didn't come down as a dog, because dogs, you know, he didn't come down as a a divine cow as they worship in some places. He didn't come down, you know, he didn't, that's that's why we don't talk about dogs going to heaven and all that kind of stuff. He didn't come down as a dog, he came down as a man. He came down as a man to be a partaker of the flesh and blood like we are, because it had to happen because that's what we were. He had to die, he had to become one of us. And so the first thing we see is, is that there's a part that Jesus had to play. And the purpose of him coming was that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. God's work is contained here in this verse and God's work is, is saving his people from their sins. That's what he did. Okay. That's what the Lord did. He, he came down, and, and let's just turn back with me over to Isaiah. I've been, I've been sort of studying the book of Isaiah, and there's some, there's some good stuff in Isaiah. Did you know that Isaiah, it's, it's really a unique book. Isaiah's got 66 chapters. You know how many books of the Bible there are? There's 66. If you read through the book of Isaiah, you read the first 39 chapters, and the primary focus is on the nation of Israel and on their uh, evil and wicked doings and the judgment of God, that is coming because of that and that has had to fall and all the things that it's really a rather negative story. In fact, when you get to chapters uh, 38 and 39, you really get to hearing some negative stuff because you're reading about it. Hezekiah, uh, I think in chapter 39, it is where Hezekiah has recovered from his sickness and he's gotten all giddy and happy and everything's going well for him. And, and the Babylonians sended an entourage or an embassy to him to, uh, to, to sort of talk about, I guess, po- uh, foreign relations and, and he says, uh, he says, wow. He said, let me just come in here and show you all the stuff I got. <laughs> and that's not real smart, you know, on his part. He, he said, let me take you in here. I'm going to take you in here and show you all the treasures of the house of God. He shows them all the treasures and the gold and the... The stuff that that pertains to the house of God, the 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 bowls and the cups and the things even used in the in the worship service, and and um, and, and of course then the prophet goes to him and says, "What a fool you are!" Because you've shown him all this these uh, you've shown the Babylonians all this stuff uh, that is yours, and because of that, partly because of that, uh, they're going to be coming down here in another generation or two, actually about three generations, I believe it is, after Hezekiah, and they're going to take all this away and take it captive. You remember that. Daniel, the fifth chapter. I can't remember which, maybe the seventh chapter. Anyway, wherever it is, about the handwriting on the wall. The reason of the handwriting on the wall is because Belteshazzar, the Babylonian king, who was uh, uh, one of the uh, the Babylonians, the ones that came down and took the nation of Israel captive under Nebuchadnezzar. Belteshazzar was was a successor to him, and he had taken all that stuff. All the holy items out of the treasury to bring them in to have a big party with them, and you see, you see those, you see Hezekiah showing it off here. Next time you see it, Belteshazzar is is bringing it out, and and uh, they've taken it captive. You see, so it's something. It's a real negative message. It's a real, you know, that you know that the the book of Malachi ends with a curse. The book of Malachi talks about the curse, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Yeah. He's talking about problems and things that are going on in the lives of the children of Israel. And then the 40th chapter of Isaiah begins like this. It's, and I, we're going to get to it in a minute. It says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. That's right. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. You know what the 40th book of the Bible is? It's the book of Matthew. Yeah. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You see, you know, you know where you read about the new heavens and the new earth? You read about it in the book of Revelation. You know where else you read about it? In the 66th chapter of Isaiah. Boy, that's an amazing book. And I didn't mean to get off on all this, Brother Buddy tonight, but it's an amazing book. And it's also, it's, it's kind of like a mini Bible in, in and of itself. If you really could said, I can only have one book out of the whole Bible, you might as well take the book of Isaiah because it's like a mini Bible. It's got all these things. It begins in chapter one with uh, uh, talking about the earth, the earth, the earth. And, 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 and Genesis, what is it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> you know, it starts out like that. It ends up with a new heaven and a new earth, just like the book of Revelation. So uh, this is an amazing book. I've been reading through it some lately. And and over in the 42nd chapter, remember now we're talking about the work of God. Notice what it says in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up, nor call... He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. The smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's a sense in which the Lord Jesus Christ is the first elect. (laughs) He says, he's mine elect. Now, right. I realize he's not chosen from out of a people or from out of the angels. Don't get that idea. Right. The Lord Jesus Christ is co-equal with God. Right. He, is, he is the second person of the Godhead, as we usually say it. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they're not, none of them are subordinate, subordinate to the other. The Lord Jesus Christ is fully God, right. but yet he was a partaker of flesh and blood. That's right. He came down as fully God and he became a a real man. He became as much man as if he were not God at all even though he remained as much God as if he were not man at all. Right. And no, I can't explain it. <laughs> I wish yeah. I could, but I can't. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll understand it, Brother Ronnie. I don't know <laughs> if we will even understand it in heaven. But it won't matter in heaven. We won't be worrying about this kind of stuff. We'll just be happy and, and praising the Lord. So, but uh, but he, he came down here, and he, in a sense, is the first elect of God. He's the primary elect, if you will. He was the chosen vessel, the one that God uh, uh, purposed, In himself to come down and to save his people from their sins. And notice what he says. He'll bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. We read about him, I believe so, in the book of Matthew when it quotes this bruised reed, shall he not break? I like that. You know, notice what he says. He's going to bring forth judgment. He's a righteous judge. He's going to bring forth righteousness. That scares me to think about that. Some people say, I just want what's coming to me. I don't want what's coming to me. (laughs) I know what's coming to me. If I get what, if I get what's coming to me, I don't want fairness. I don't want judgment and justice. I want mercy. You see, but he's, he's a God of judgment and a God of justice. He's going to bring judgment to the nations, to the Gentiles. And it says he shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He's not gonna he's not gonna complain about it. He's not gonna do like me when I go to do my job and say, Oh, here I go again, gotta go do it again, and you know, blow and you know, do all that kind of stuff to try to make it look let everybody know that I'm not happy doing my job. That's not what the Lord Jesus Christ did at all. I'll tell you, I'm I'm ashamed when I act like that. There's times when I go to work complaining. <laughs> There's times when I get out and do stuff and I'm just like, oh, here we go again. I've got to do it again. Lord Jesus Christ didn't do that. He kept his mouth shut. He was like a lamb, dumb before his shearers. He was was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was dumb before his his captors and before his tormentors. He did not open his mouth. He didn't cry. He didn't lift up. He didn't cause his voice to be heard in the street. Not only did he not cry out in the temple, not only did he not cry out in the judgment hall, he didn't cry out in the streets. He never did complain about where he was and about the job that he was to do. And he was bringing judgment. He was bringing, he was bringing righteous judgment. And you know, one day righteous judgment's going to rain down on this world. And that scares me in my flesh when I think about what a sinner I am. But notice what else about him. It says, a bruised reed he shall not break. Mm. The smoking flax shall he not quench. Mm. You know, these reeds, you know, what he's talking about is a reed like you find at the water. And, you know, you know compare that. I remember seeing some, it may have been a, it may have been a comic book, but I, I want to say it was a cartoon show one time about, about an oak tree and a reed. And the reed was complaining about not being strong like the oak tree, but eventually uh, the oak tree and the wind, the, the reed would blow in the wind. Eventually, the wind got so bad the oak tree broke, <laughs> but the reed was okay because it would bend with the wind. You see, and the point being they were show, showing some some things that were uh, were uh, uh, pros to being uh, a reed as opposed to the cons of being you know stiff necked and and tough. You know, sometimes I like to think of myself as an oak tree. You know, I like to think I'm tough. I'm tough, but the truth of the matter is, I'm really like that reed. Most of the time, I feel like a bruised reed. Now you think about, you've seen reeds out, you know, little, very tender plants, very easily broken. And have you ever taken one and you just mash it a little bit or maybe you've run over it or stepped on it and it's, it's got a defect in it, it's got a bruised place in it. How much does it take to just break it on off? it's so it's it's easy to break a reed anyway but when that thing's already bruised you just snap it right off you know what the lord says this this man this god man who has come down to bring judgment he's not even going to break a bruised reed the smoking flax just you you think about uh some um, shavings or some uh some little you know very small piles of of something that's flammable and it's just barely smoking and you're trying to you know i always think about that uh story uh that uh, uh story about the guy up in up in alaska and it was written by uh, i can't ever think of the guy's name but he he wrote uh, a lot jack london jack london wrote it about uh, a guy who was trying to he was out in the wilderness and he fell in the water and he was trying his best to get a fire going it was the most depressing book I ever read because uh, at the end of it, just as a fire gets going, he's built a fire under a tree and a whole big load of snow falls down on the fire and the guy freezes to death. You know, That's just, uh, I've, I've thought of that a lot and I think, I think about that when I see that how, how easy it is to put a fire out in general. But can you imagine, you're trying to get that fire going, you need that fire for warmth and, 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 all, and all it would take is just a little whiff of, of, of a breath of air. It's just and it's gone. <clears throat> but our Lord is so gentle. Our Lord is so gentle that when you feel yourself to be like that smoking flax, He's not going to quench that. He's not going to do anything. He's not harsh when He comes into to His people. He's not hard when He comes into the bruised reeds of this world. He's not even going to break them, you see. Mm. And it says, He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail. Now that tells me what he's talking about here is the eternal salvation of his people. Because I want to tell you, there's many times that my deliverance here fails. There's many times that things I do here, that things that require me to be part of it fail. If this required me to be part of it, it would fail without a doubt. But he shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, mine elect, my servant, whom I I uphold is coming down, and he's going to do a work that will be finished. It will be done right. It kind of sounds like Matthew 121, doesn't it? He shall save his people from their sins. I don't see any place for his people to act and to work in there. I don't see any place for his people to take part in that work. When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, before he went to the cross, he prayed that great high priestly prayer in John 17. He said, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. He didn't say, I've gotten it to the point now, Lord, where it's going to be up to them to finish it. He said, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. I like that. I like that. Because that tells me that God had a work to do and it's that work that he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Through his death, not through his death and your cooperation. Not through his death and the application of it by the priest or the preacher. But through his death he destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. He he destroyed the devils. He destroyed him that had the power of death. No longer will death hold dominion in this world. You see, he accomplished that. And then in verse 15, he says, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, let me just back up and say this. How is it that we can be delivered from that fear of death? Well, first of all, uh, if we're dead, we can't be delivered from anything, right? right. Uh, From fear, we don't have any fear, right? Mm -hmm. If we're dead, there's no fear. Uh, So something's gotta happen to us first. John 5.25 tells this, he says, "'Behold, the hour is coming and now is, "'when they which are dead shall hear the voice "'of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live.' I love the fact that it doesn't say if they hear, they'll live. It doesn't say that uh, if we can preach it to them, they can live, if they'll respond to it. It says the hour is coming and now is. That means at that moment, already there was a time when the Son of God's voice would speak to His children and every single one of them that He speaks to would live. I love that. I love that. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com.